0: Elvis from the blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 12. I've had a bit of a disaster with this episode so far. I recorded it yesterday and thought I had it all done. And then last night when I came to do some editing, I knocked over half a glass of red wine onto my computer keyboard. And even though the screen lights up with my computer, it just will not go, and I seem to have lost my podcast. So I'm sitting here today with my daughter Sophie's computer. She's very generously given it to me, and I'm going to try again. So I don't know if this one will be better than yesterday, but whether I'll be able to do it all over again. But anyway, maybe a bit of practice will help. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, I thought we'd talk about birthdays and death days and Christmas. You might remember we talked about Christmas uh, several weeks ago, and I've had a few extra ideas about that, and I'm also going to link it in to birthdays and death days. So let's see how we go. On Sunday, it was the birthday of our son, Thomas. He's uh, our sixth child. If you're a regular reader of my blogs, you will know all about Thomas because I have written dozens and dozens of stories about him. But just in case that you have uh, a new reader or you ha- haven't actually been over to my blog, that you know me through my podcasts alone, perhaps I should give you a little bit of background inf- of information about Thomas. Now he was born uh, fifteen years ago, and. He died uh, one day old. So that's why we've had a birthday and a death day to remember this weekend because they follow on one after the other. Now, Thomas had a diaphragmatic hernia and it was diagnosed at the routine 18-week ultrasound that I went to. I remember that day very, very vividly. Uh, I went to the hospital with my husband, Andy, and our five other children. And Andy, he took our children across to the park from the hospital while I had the ultrasound. We weren't expecting any problems. Uh, So I was quite happy to go in by myself. I actually thought that Andy was going to miss out on the excitement of seeing our new baby. But he was willing to make that sacrifice uh, because we knew that five children and two adults plus a technician would not fit into the small ultrasound room. So that's what we decided to do. And he went off to the park and I went in for the ultrasound. Lay down and had all the usual chit-chat. What would you like, a boy or a girl? We had at the time, oh, I think three girls and two boys. It didn't really matter to us, what sex the baby was, and I didn't really want to know, so I didn't ask. I just said, oh, we'll find out after the baby's born, the same as for all the other children. So there was a, just lying there ch- chatting about these sort of things. And the technician then excused himself when he went out of the room. I didn't think much of it. I just lay there looking at the ultrasound screen, screen. A few minutes later, the technician arrived back with the doctor, And the doctor just came up to me, he put his hand on my arm, and I always remember how he looked into my eyes, and he said, I'm very sorry, we found a problem with your baby. And he explained that, yes, Thomas had a diaphragmatic hernia, a hole, which was letting all his internal organs move up into his lung region, uh, the the, uh, cavity where his lung tissue was supposed to develop. And because this space was being taken up by these organs, which shouldn't have been there, there wasn't uh, much room for the lung tissue to to develop. And so he explained to me that maybe not enough tissue would develop to allow for independent breathing after birth. And he said that most probably our baby would die soon after birth. One minute everything was fine, my world was just normal, I was looking forward to the birth of our baby, and then with a few words, my whole world had been turned upside down. And I sort of think that's how life is sometimes, that we can just be rattling along quite happily and then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from underneath our feet and life is never the same again. Obviously, I was frightened. I I just couldn't take it all in for a moment. My mind went a bit numb. Uh, the word death didn't really register for a minute. I thought well, perhaps something could be done. So I said, it's early days, only 18 weeks. Something. There's time for something to be done. It's not like we have found this problem with only a couple of weeks to go before the birth. And the doctor said, I'm very sorry. He said, there's nothing we can do. And then it really hit me. It just came in, bowled me over. We were facing the death of our baby. And I, have yeah, got very frightened. I thought, how on earth am I going to survive the next five months? How am I going to face a birth of a baby who will die? How am I going to hold him in my arms? How am I going to bury him? And I didn't think I could do that. But what my first words were to the doctor there's nothing we can do about it i'm going to ha- i'm going to have this baby and i knew that there, there wasn't anything i could do i had just had to move forward even if it killed me yeah there was nothing i could do uh, other mothers might have said you know well can i have an abortion the doctor didn't even suggest that i think he knew i would never consider that i mean how could i kill my own baby that's just not right yeah you know, i had the gift of our faith i knew i just couldn't do that so it was. Yeah, you know, I couldn't kill him to save myself, and I really don't think that in um, aborting babies we do save ourselves. I think there's an awful lot of suffering for mothers who do abort their babies. It doesn't actually mean that they escape the suffering. I think in a way it makes it a whole lot worse. But anyway, back to my situation. The ultrasound came to an end, and I got up off the couch, went to get dressed, and then. It yeah, the tears started flowing. I just couldn't control them. Went out to the reception area, I went up to pay for my ultrasound, and the lady behind the reception desk just shook her head and said, no charge. And I was really quite grateful to be able to just not worry about payment, worrying about all the little details. I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to be there anymore. It wasn't until a long time afterwards I thought about it, and I thought, why didn't they charge me for that ultrasound? Do do they have a policy that they don't charge for babies that are going to die? I don't know. I hadn't actually thought about it, but I was grateful at the time. Yeah, went outside. And, yeah, my husband Andy and our children were waiting outside the hospital for me. They'd come back from the park. I didn't have to say anything to my husband. He knew there was something wrong. Tears just rolling down my face. And I just said, the baby is going to die. He unfolded me in his arms. And, well... Yeah, there just wasn't anything we could do about it. We went home. I cried and cried on and off for five months before the baby was born, alternating hope and despair, hope that maybe a miracle would be granted. Maybe they'd made a mistake. Maybe our baby would survive with only that small chance of the living that the doctors had given him. Maybe his lung tissue would develop enough. And then despair as I thought about him dying and having to bury him, having to say goodbye. So, yeah, that was our life for five months. And then uh, his birth arrived. We obviously went to the hospital, and we had to be in a special hospital in Sydney because of his circumstances. There had to be the right equipment there to deal with his birth because the doctors knew that as soon as he was born, he'd have to be put on to life support system they'd have to assess his condition and decide whether there was anything they could do to help him. So he was born, and there were doctors standing around waiting to take our babies off straight away to the neonatal intensive care unit. And I didn't get a chance to say hello to Thomas. He didn't have a name at that point, and we didn't have a chance to look at him and see what he looked like. Then one of the nurses just said to Thomas, as the doctor took him and put a face mask on him and started manually, resp, resp- manual respirator for him to make sure that he was breathing. And then the nurse said, Say goodbye to mummy," And it just felt so unreal. A sing-song voice, uh, say goodbye to mommy. A baby I couldn't even see. I had you know, just blur. He was a blur. He was out the door and gone. And then just for a moment, I felt fine. I felt like he'd been born in the hospital. I'd done my bit. The doctors had taken over, and there was nothing else I could do for the moment. And I was wheeled to recovery, and I had that usual post-birth elation that most mothers experience. I felt tired. I felt hungry. <laughs> and someone brought me a cup of tea and a sandwich to eat. And I sat back and thought, "Well, yep. Yeah, Um, It's all over as far as I'm concerned, but yeah, the doctors are working on him. I can relax for a moment, and I relaxed for about five minutes until another lady just sort of wheeled into the recovery room as well. She had just given birth to her baby, and her husband was with her and a toddler, and in her arms was her newborn baby, and that was the end of it for me. I had no baby in my arms, and the tears started rolling again, and that was what it was like for the next... Oh, next day. <laughs> Alternating tears and calm moments when I hoped. A roller coaster of emotions. Uh, it seemed like I was given a report every few minutes. He was stable. I hoped. Thomas was, had gone downhill again. I despaired. It was so hard watching him on the life support system with tubes all over him, wires, and I couldn't touch him. I wasn't allowed to touch him. And he was in a paralyzed state. I was told that he could hear, but he couldn't respond. He could feel. That's why I wasn't allowed to touch him. But he couldn't move because of all the wires and everything. They didn't want him to move. And I think what a big suffering for a baby to be taken out of a warm, familiar environment and to be placed into a neonatal intensive care unit where he could hear everything that was going on, but he couldn't feel anything warm or comforting. And he had to lie still. And yes, um, at, at the night passed and the day. And there's so many things I could say about that. And I've written lots and lots of stories. But eventually we were told that there was no hope for Thomas. They'd assessed him and he wasn't responding to any treatment. And the doctors had worked very, very hard to uh, give him a chance at life. And I know that they didn't make that decision lightly. By the time they made that decision, all our children and my mother-in-law had arrived at the hospital too. They had been hoping to say hello to Thomas, but really it was a goodbye. We all gathered in the neonatal intensive unit. All the excess wires and equipment were removed from Thomas. Just the respirator was left and a heart monitor was left on him. And he was placed in our arms. And we passed him from person to person so that we could all hold him. Yeah, it was a very uh, intensely emotional time. And I don't know how long passed, but it came to a point where the doctor said, he has died. The he showed us the monitor. The heartbeat was his heart was no longer beating, even though it looked like he was respiring still. But that wasn't him. That was, the uh, respirator going in and out still. And yeah, Thomas had died, and that was a big start of suffering for us. I I really do believe that Thomas suffered a lot that twenty-eight and a quarter hours that he lived, and his suffering was over. He'd gone. And our suffering was endless. It seemed like we were going to move forward and suffer for an awful long time. And our grief, yeah, that was the beginning of our grief. Even though we had grieved during his pregnancy and during his hours that he'd been alive, it was nothing compared to the grief that we faced ahead of us. Now, I can't tell you everything about that year because there's so much of it, but we're getting on to his birthday. The grief did lessen a little as the year went on but it intensified again just before his first birthday as i came to realize that i'd have to go through the memories and the pain intensely again as we remembered his birth and his death and i didn't want that to happen i wanted just to forget about it just pretend that his birthday and death day were like any other day of the year but our children wouldn't let, wouldn't let me do that. As his birthday approached, um, they said, "Well, how are we going to celebrate Thomas's birthday, Mum?" And he was—he is a brother. He is part of all our lives. They wanted him to have a birthday now—a proper birthday. Yeah, you know, a birthday outing, a birthday cake, a birthday present—all the usual stuff that we have for birthdays. They said, "Well, he is our brother." We want to do this for him. And it hurt for me to do that, but I knew I had to do it. So we had a birthday outing. We went to the cemetery with flowers, with a picnic as well. We have made the cemetery our place. Now, I don't know how many other people have picnics in cemeteries, but we do that every birthday. We did that on Sunday. We went to Mass. Being a Sunday, and then we took our picnic morning tea out to the cemetery, and we sat under a shady tree, and we had our coffee and drinks and cake and whatever. Before that we cleaned up Thomas's grave and put fresh flowers in his flower bowl, and then where everybody stood behind the headstone, like we do every year, and I took a lot of photos. And those photos, you know, from year to year, the kids all get a year older, they tell a story. And some years there are people missing, children missing. Some day, some years it's a weekday and Andy isn't there because he's at work. Uh, this year Callum was missing because he had to work even though it was a Sunday. And our first child, our daughter Felicity, wasn't there. She hasn't been there for a number of years because she lives on the other side of Australia from us, and she hasn't been home for a few years. But so on Sunday we had. Well, who do we have? We had Duncan, our eldest son, and the four youngest girls, and I took the fair days. So that was how we celebrated Thomas's birthday on Sunday. And we had a present, of course. Now I talked about Thomas's teddy bear collection um several podcasts ago and the dilemma we have over them. Collecting teddy bears for 15 years, one for his birthday and one for Christmas and a few odd ones here and there. And the teddy bears are mounting up and taking up lot of space and I haven't known what to do with them. And I was considering mini- miniature teddy bears until I found out the price of them because yeah, the less bear, the more they cost. But we solved that problem because a very dear friend of mine called Kelly Casanova. She made Thomas at a small teddy bear this year, and it is so beautiful. We've called it Paul, after Saint Paul, who happens to be one of Kelly's favorite saints. So yeah, Thomas got a beautiful present this year. I want to tell you a bit more about Kelly. She has. Uh, she's a textile artist. She knits and she dyes wool and she spins. Oh, she she does a lot of things. She makes toys. Obviously, she makes teddy bears. And I'm going to put her blog and her Facebook page in the program notes today. And I would really appreciate it if you went over and had a look at Kelly's work. She is a very talented artist, and you will love her work. So please go over and have a look. So, yeah, that was Thomas's birthday. The next day was Thomas's death day. So we celebrated that yesterday. Well, celebrate? <laughs> yeah, we could celebrate it. That was his birthday into heaven, wasn't it? He is a saint. He was uh, baptized and confirmed. And now he is a saint in heaven, praying for us, waiting there for us. So, yeah, it's a day to celebrate. It's also a day to be sad and remember the memories as well. So we've had a birthday and a death day this week. And I've been thinking about Christmas. If I think back all those years to the first Christmas after Thomas died... I can remember how difficult that was, facing Christmas, because it was only about, oh, I don't know, about seven or so weeks between his birth and Christmas Day. And I really dreaded Christmas, because I didn't feel like being happy or uh, joyful. It just seemed like the wrong season for somebody who was grieving. But I knew I'd have to celebrate it because our children were looking forward to it. And they'd had such a hard time over the previous weeks as we grieved. I knew they needed the joy of Christmas. So I had to do something for them. I had to make myself rise to the occasion. I had to buy presents even though I didn't want to. I had to think of how we were going to make it happy for our children Shopping was very, very difficult. I went out a number of times shopping, and I came home a number of times too, empty-handed. I didn't know what to buy. I'd stand there in front of all the shelves of toys and books and other things, and I just couldn't make a decision. And sometimes I came home because I heard a baby crying. And then at last, Andy took me out to the city one day and helped me with the shopping. He just kept me going until we'd gone round and bought everything we needed to so we did the Christmas preparations. Andy did the cooking and the shopping for the food. And I wrapped the gifts. And Christmas Day arrived and it wasn't too bad. I, yeah, until we went to Mass and Andy said to me after Mass, he said, shall we light a candle for Thomas? And he took my hand and he led me to the front of the church and we found a candle and we, we lit it and we knelt down and we did some praying together and That was very hard, but on the whole, we got through Christmas Day all right. Um, Next day was a lot better. I felt that the burden had rolled off our shoulders. We didn't have to pretend anymore to be happy. Life could go back to being normal. We didn't feel guilty about grieving again. But I was thinking about this year. Um, Christmas is all right now. Uh, I don't dread Christmas any longer, but I'm sure that out there, there's a lot of other people who do are grieving and are dreading Christmas. And I remember all how we had a lot of Christmas cards and sympathy cards arriving in the same mail. I'd open them up and I put Christmas cards and the sympathy cards on the shelves side by side with each other. And I felt they didn't really belong together. Uh, How can people grieve and how can people celebrate Christmas at the same time? It just didn't seem right. And I had this thought a few, I don't know how many years ago, not not too long ago, that really Christmas is a season for the broken hearted, even though it doesn't seem to be. And I wrote a blog post about this, about the thoughts I was having about it. Why do we send Christmas cards to each other? What are the messages inside? Well, we're wishing everybody joy and peace and hope. That is the message of Christmas. And what do grief-stricken people need? They need peace. They don't feel at peace. They yearn for peace. I remember I just wanted to feel peaceful again. And what do they hope for? They hope for joy again, that the one day they're going to feel joyful again. It seems like a long way away. Maybe it will never happen. Maybe their hearts will never heal. But yes, they yearn for peace and joy. And also, most of all, they, they yearn for hope um have hoped that the the grief will lessen, that life will go back to normal, that most importantly one day we will be reunited with the loved ones that we have lost. That one day I will see Thomas again, that I will meet up with him in heaven. And those, those are the similar messages in the sympathy cards as to the Christmas ones. they 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 were not as far apart as I imagined. And I think of uh the, the pictures, the beautiful pictures of Jesus in the manger with Mary looking at him, and I used to think, well, yeah, they're pictures of a little that beautiful baby, but I didn't have my baby. He wasn't in my arms. How could I look at those pictures without adding to my grief? And I've thought about that since and think, well, if Jesus hadn't become a little baby, hadn't entered the world as he had, then I wouldn't. Would never be able to see my baby again. That is a message of hope. So yeah, Christmas, even though it doesn't seem like it, I think is the season for the brokenhearted. Well, we haven't even talked about un- unschooling so far. Here I have recorded quite a lot of my podcast already and I haven't even touched on the subject of unschooling. And I guess this is supposed to be an unschooling podcast. But then again, what is unschooling? Unschooling is learning from life. And what richer experience can we have than what life throws at us? I mean, grief is not an experience that I would invite into my life. I didn't want to experience it at all. But it happened. It arrived. And these things do happen in our lives. And I think they teach us unique lessons. We wouldn't want to ask for them, but they arrive. And we learn from them. And our children learn from them, too. I remember begging God before Thomas was born, please don't let him die. My children will not survive. I didn't think I'd survive. How would they survive? Because they did survive. And they have learned so much, we all have, about what really is important in life, about death, about where we're headed, about being compassionate towards other people's sufferings, about what it means to be a family, I couldn't really sit here and tell you all I've learned because I have learned so much. And what God has shown me also is that the life lessons that I'm learning haven't ended yet. I can learn something more as I dwell upon Thomas' life and death continually as the years have been passing by. And that's, I guess, why I have written so many stories about him. Oh, I don't know how many, over a hundred maybe, enough to fill another couple of books, even though I've already published one already. And I think about crises that families experience and they say things like well we can't homeschool because there's too much going on we're experiencing a family crisis I can't get the lessons done I haven't got any leftover energy or thought for making sure my children have an education and I guess that is the problem if you're homeschooling in a structured sort of way and where children need to be able to have their maths marked and their maths taught to them and etc. things like that. But when you're unschooling, I think it's so much easier. You just go with the flow of life. In those times when there are crises happening, just go with the flow and not worry about anything else. And then when things get a little better, then you can do some strewing and uh, pay more attention to what is going on in your children's educational lives, enrich their lives with learning experiences which certainly aren't needed when a family are having a crisis because how rich can life get? Yes, so when Thomas, after he was born, um, I don't think I did anything remotely educational with my children for at least three months. I had nothing to record in that records book. I just ignored it completely. It didn't matter in the slightest. So I'm hopping all over the place here with, um, I'm back to birthdays and death days, a bit of unschooling thrown in, but I have a little bit more I wanted to talk about Christmas. And the same podcast that I was talking about, Thomas's Bears, I was talking about the yearning I have to have a simple Christmas this year. Well, maybe it was about a month ago, we were at a homeschool meeting and one of the mothers there had a number of shoe boxes and some information about Operation Christmas Child. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, it's the first time that we have considered. Well, first time that I've really found out all the details about it. And we actually got a couple of shoe boxes to fill for children who are overseas and who are in less fortunate circumstances than our our own children. Now, um, we were told a few stories by this mother. She was telling us about Operation Christmas Child, and she said that children overseas who get these presents might never have got a Christmas present before in their life, and they get very, very excited about them. And uh, they get excited about all the little things, like if they get a a toothbrush in their box. Wow, that is just uh, such a big thing, to have their own toothbrush. And she told me um, and the other mothers about some little girl who had lost her shoes. Now, I didn't understand this story very well. And I just tell it as I heard it or as I think I heard it because it doesn't make much sense. But she lost her shoes in a landmine. And I really don't understand how she didn't lose her feet as well. But she was heartbroken that she'd lost her shoes. And then she received a pair of shoes in one of these Christmas child operation um Christmas boxes and she was over the moon about it now I don't really understand how anybody knew uh what size shoes to put in the shoebox either but there we go she got a pair of shoes and they must have fitted her because she was delighted so we got a couple of these shoeboxes and Sophie and Gemma Rose my youngest daughters and I we went shopping on one Saturday to fill them and there's various categories that that they you what they're ask you to buy a gift for something to love, like a teddy bear or a doll, something for school, something special, something to wear, some personal hygiene item like the toothbrush or some soap or some face washes, something like that. Yeah, the various categories. Something to play with. And so we went around the shops and we filled these boxes. My girls had a wonderful time. They said, it is much better to buy things to give to other people than it is to receive yourself they really did it was a lovely experience so we had these shoe boxes ready one's for a girl um aged about two to four and the other one's for a girl seven to nine And so we haven't actually given them to the coordinator yet, but we're anticipating that. So if you'd like to do something similar, it is a very rewarding experience, and I've put the details in the program notes on my blog. You can either give give a donation or fill some boxes yourself. But this led to my another idea for my my own family. How am I going to simplify my gift-giving this year? And I talked to my children, and I said, well, how about we have... We make some categories of our own—something to watch, something to listen to, something to read, something special, something to eat. Yes, yeah, I don't know if that's enough. Or we—I'll put down a few categories and then go looking for gifts to fit those categories. And the girls were very delighted with this. Something to watch is easy—they'll—they'll DVDs. You know, they'll share all their DVDs. Some mini series, some classics like Jane Austen or. Elizabeth Gaskell or Charles Dickens, something like that, maybe Doctor Who, that they'd enjoy something like that. Then something to listen to, some iTunes files, something to read, Kindle books, and those files they can share. I buy one for each of them and then they end up with sharing each other's because I can download them onto all of their MP3 players and all of their Kindles. And that might make my gift giving a lot Simpler than usual. So that's just one idea I wanted to share with you today. Maybe somebody else will find that one useful. Now I hope they remembered to talk about all the things that were on my first version of this podcast. Um you're sitting here and I think I've almost come to the end. And did I talk about everything I wanted to well I hope this hasn't been a depressing uh podcast telling you about Thomas's birthday and death day his life is not depressing for us we're really glad that we have him he is a real blessing to our family yes yeah, certain days of the year are very sad and I think I do carry a little bit of grief hidden down inside me still which rises up on those particular days but no um, I wouldn't change anything I am so glad that I have a son called Thomas and that I actually got to meet him hold him and yeah he's part of our life still he's Sophie was talking about him the other day and she says, I'd like to make a video about my brother Thomas' mum because Sophie was born after Thomas died. She's next in line. She's number seven. So it seems strange to her that she has a big brother that she has never met, but he's still part of her life. So watch out for that because I'm sure she'll make that video and talk a little bit about her bigger, well, baby brother. (laughs) I tend to think of him as a Baby when he's really all grown up in heaven, I just mentioned briefly that yesterday we had a, a really interesting experience. We went to a recording studio of someone in town and recorded uh, something for our local community radio and while I was there, I got talking about podcasting to the the man who runs the studio he is uh, he does lots of voiceovers he, as a profession he's a professional. And when he heard I was podcasting, he got very interested and he said he will give me some tips on making my podcasts sound more professional. So I'd like to talk about that next week, tell you about our visit to a professional uh, recording studio. So I think that I was a bit embarrassed. He asked me for the name of my podcast and said he'll go and listen. And I think, oh, wow, don't do that. This will sound really amateurish compared to his professional work back I think I'll be brave and maybe he'll give me some good hints. So I'm going to say goodbye for today. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh Please go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'll put the program notes up there. I've got a few blog posts related to various things I've talked about today. And then, of course, we've got the links for Operation Christmas Child and Kelly Casanova's blog and Facebook page. Um, What else? Uh, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family. It's slowly growing. I thank everybody that has gone over there in the last three weeks since I actually made the page. Please go over and like my page. And if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that through iTunes. So until next week, I hope everybody has a good week. And thank you so much for listening to my podcast. And I'll see you next week.